far, our Advent preaching has been about keeping alert. It's been about repenting to receive God's peace. And it's been about finding joy in grass that is green enough. Our psalm for this morning does not depart from the theme of preparing for God's arrival. But there is a striking difference in emphasis. Thus far, our sermons have been to individuals. God is speaking to you. You should repent. You should keep alert. You should be content and so find joy. But this psalm, it does not speak to us individually. It speaks to us together. Together. It was written as a communal prayer. It is a prayer said by a nation that realized they had made a wrong turn somewhere. They were not lamenting as individuals. They were lamenting as a nation. Together, they had made a mistake. So they're looking at their situation, at how they had lost faith in God, at how they had wandered from their path. And they write this prayer from Psalm chapter 80, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The line at the heart of this psalm is a powerful one. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Now, this is not just a prayer for salvation. It is a prayer for restoration. And that is a very particular kind of salvation. This is not really a prayer for the salvation of souls. When the psalm says that we may be saved, they aren't afraid that they've lost their place in heaven. They are afraid that they've lost their place on earth. They know they are still God's people. They are always God's people. It's written into their very name. Israel means wrestles with God. They are not afraid that God is no longer God. They are not worrying over the state of their souls. They are afraid that God has stopped working among them. Restore us, O God. They cry to God, stir up your might and come to save us. Not for heaven someday. They are the people of God. They mean right now. Get down here now. Don't just promise us that I'm going to heaven. Help us now. Restore us. Now, restore us is a very backward-looking prayer. It's not asking for something we've never had. It's longing for something that we've lost. It's desiring something we can remember or something our parents told us about. Restore us is something we pray 
because we've lost something. Which is why if you keep reading this psalm, the writer says what they've lost. He tells a story using what will eventually become a famous image of God's people, a vine. The psalmist later says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This prayer remembers how God delivered his people from Egypt. He brought them out. He defeated every nation that was in their way. He overcame their obstacles and planted them in a land. What has confused the psalmist is why did God get us all the way here, plant us, make us prosperous and powerful, and then leave? The next line is, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along pluck its fruits? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. When the people of Israel pray this, they would pray it together. They are remembering the mighty ways that God has acted in the past and asking why God has stopped these mighty works. This prayer for restoration is helpful because it's easy to pray for restoration the wrong way. Brian has a friend in Chicago who does consulting for churches. He goes in and he'll talk to them about their ministries, about their attendance, about their finances. And what he finds is that many, many churches are praying for restoration. They want to be restored to how they were. They're praying for the numbers they used to have, the ministries they used to have. They are clinging to the past. There is this one church in particular who had this huge, beautiful building could seat over 400 people, big stained glass windows, incredibly wood front, and an organ. But they had less than 20 people on a Sunday. Their prayer, what they told Brian's friend when he consulted with them, is they just prayed to have their sanctuary filled again. They put all of their money into maintaining the building, built for over 400 to the degree that they couldn't even afford a pastor. So they paid pulpit supply because all their money was going to maintain the building. Slowly, the money drained away. They stopped maintaining the now empty Sunday school classes. They stopped maintaining the fellowship hall. They couldn't pay to take care of leaks or broken furniture, but they clung to that sanctuary, all of their money going to maintain it and kept praying for restoration, that they would have a full sanctuary again. But they prayed for restoration the wrong way. They had this vision of their glory days when this sanctuary built for over 400 was filled, those Christmas and Easter Sunday services. They kept praying that God would restore them to their glory days with no pastor, no ministries, No outreach, just a big, empty sanctuary. They kept praying that their sanctuary would be filled. 
But filled for what? Filled so their rotating pulpit supply pastor could preach them all a sermon? Filled so they could help with ministries they had abandoned? Filled so they could attend a canceled Sunday school class? Do you see what I mean? They were praying for that sanctuary to be filled again. And I think it probably made God angry. Because there was no reason for that sanctuary to be filled anymore. They prayed for restoration wrong. In the psalm, the prayer for restoration is not a restoration to what the church had been. It is a prayer of God's presence. It is not a prayer that God would restore their glory. It was not a prayer that God would fill their pews again. It is a prayer that God's face would shine. Their prayer is that God's face would shine and that they would be saved. Because a Christian prayer for restoration is not primarily concerned with us being returned to our glory. What if you were a married couple and you had children? Children change things and they probably add some stress to your life. You could pray, restore us to the time where we didn't have kids and maybe on some days you want to pray that prayer. But that would be nuts. A prayer for restoration is not to go back to the past. A prayer for restoration is to go into a new future. The same could be said of going from kids to empty nesters, from work to retirement. Prayers for restoration are not about us returning to a state in the past. It's a prayer for the restoration of God's presence. It is a prayer about us being restored to right relation with God. It is a prayer that has been restored as signs of God's power in the world. It is, first of all, a prayer that God's face would shine. Now, anytime you start talking like this, there is understandably some frustration and bewilderment. After all, how can God stop his face from shining on us? We are his people. You can feel the psalmist's confusion because there's a contradiction between what God began when he took the vine out of Egypt and what he has done, leaving the vineyard exposed for strangers to gather fruit. The problem here is not that they are not as powerful as they used to be. It's not that they can't protect themselves. The problem is that God isn't present. And here's what this psalm has to teach us. If God is the problem, God must also be the solution. Thus, the prayer concentrates on the one thing and the one thing alone, the divine vow. The congregation must look beyond even its own repentance to a kind of repentance of God, his turning away from wrath to grace. In this psalm, the nation prays to be saved. Saved from what? The story that the psalmist tells us is they need to be saved from God's inactivity. God's face has ceased to shine on them. God has ceased to do great works in their midst. This is why they need saving, because somehow along the way, God became angry with their prayers. Did you catch this line in the psalm? The nation prays and asks God how long he will be angry with their prayers. 
Now, several weeks ago, Brian taught this passage to the youth, and they very quickly jumped right on the task of figuring out why God might be angry with their prayers. Well, Israel might have been praying only for themselves, they said. Maybe they weren't praying for other people. Their prayers might have been greedy or selfish. When your prayers make God angry, when your will is not lined up with his, he stops making your prayers come true. This is what that church missed, that church who was consulted. They forgot the original reason they had over 400 people filling the pews. It wasn't because of the stained glass. It wasn't because of the wood accents. It was because God was working. God was showing up in the music and in the preaching, in the fellowship, and in the ministries of the church. God was active. The church grew. The church was filled to the brim and needed to expand. The church had the money to build the beautiful building for all of its members. Because God was active. This psalm teaches us that as people of God, a prayer for restoration always begins with restoring our relationship with God. If we look around and we're not where we want to be, it's always because we need more God. Sometimes we have to go back to the basics, the basics of our faith. And sometimes we have to press ahead to see where the Spirit is leading. But the answer to a prayer for restoration is always to seek out the presence of God. And there's a second thing that we can learn here about this prayer for restoration. Prayer for restoration is not an individual prayer. When a prayer for restoration becomes an individual prayer, it is too easy to exempt ourselves from the situation. It becomes an issue of the younger families or the older families, of that group over there or that group over here doing this. This prayer, a prayer for restoration, is communal. It is necessarily communal. When we pray it individually, that's when we really need God's presence because it's a sign that there is division in the church. So this prayer is done together. Together we remember the amazing things that God has done in our church, and we look ahead with anticipation to what God might be doing next. We pray that God will restore us with his spirit and do incredible things through us today, just as he did in days of old. And together, we trust that God will actually answer our prayer. Psalm 80 teaches us that a prayer for restoration is a prayer for God's restoration. It is a prayer for God's presence, and it is a prayer we pray as a community. One more detail I want to bring out about this text. The psalm says, let your face shine that we might be saved. Notice that it does not say, let your face shine upon us. Because God's face does not shine for a person. God's face shines on the people of God. And we are supposed to draw other people's attention to it to the good things that God is doing. When Jesus does miracles in the New Testament, they are called signs. They're called signs because they are signs of who God is, a God that heals people, that liberates captives, that redeems the downcast. 
and they are signs that God is still powerful enough to do this today. Now, it is the season of Advent, so it is a season of repentance. But this psalm is a communal repentance. We turn away together from the ways that we have become infatuated with what God used to do in our midst instead of what God is doing now. We remind ourselves of all of the amazing things God has done in the church, and we pray that God will do those things again. I think this prayer is a good one for us to pray. The psalm is always good for churches to pray because of how easy it is to idolize the past. The restoration point of a church is rather different than that of a computer. When a computer falls or stops or has too many glitches, you restore it back to a backup point where it was working better. The restoration point of a church is not going back to its glory days, but back to right relation with God and looking towards a new future. Let me speak a word of encouragement here to you. This church has worked hard to ask where God is working. Where is God leading? What is God doing? We hear this excitement for new ideas everywhere we go. We hear a willingness to try new things. This church has a proud history began over on Willow Street, soon became a merged church. When the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination and the PCUSA church partially merged in 1906, this church became two joined congregations, both worshiping side by side. In a time that was divisive and angry, this church stood as a sign of how we are meant to be united in Christ church, wanting to be united, had a revival to seek God's will. Yes, that's right. We as Presbyterians had a revival. (laughs) And nearly every PCUSA church family was moved to become Cumberland Presbyterian and unite here and in celebration build this church here on South Kyle Street. We have a powerful testimony as a church. We have powerful testimonies of this church's dedication to children and youth still in the Mother's Day Out program that we have. We have a powerful testimony to the power of music through our choir and our carillons. This church continues to look back to its history for inspiration and the many pillars of faith who inspired us with their godly behavior and sacrifices. But what amazes me the most, what amazes me the most about this church is that even with such a rich history, it continues to look ahead at what God is doing next. This Advent season, let's renew our commitment to God's restoration. Let's take Psalm 80 to heart and as a community pray that God would restore his presence to us. The aim is not for one day for people to look back and say, do you remember 2015? If only we could go back there. We do not. I want people to look back on us today and say, remember when things were so good. No. We want them to look back and say, remember how eager they were to follow God? 
remember the depth of their faith and how God did those amazing things through them. Let's be faithful like that. Our prayer for this week together is that God's face would shine. In this dark world, it may be one of the most important prayers that we pray. We need God's restoration. We need God's face to shine so that we can be restored to the very God who sent his son to be born for us. A son that restores this dark world and shines his face upon it. Might we be restored to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed that you have given us such a rich history. We are amazed at this church, the faithfulness that it is built upon. And we ask that we might be restored again into right relationship with you. Restore us. Restore us because this church and this community and this world feel so dark. And it needs your light. Might we go out and be that light as well living as a restored community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.